woman was three months pregnant when she fell into a deep coma. And she woke up about six months later and she asked the doctor about her baby. The doctor looked at her and said, ma'am, you had twins, one boy and one girl, and they're both fine. And your brother named them for you. And the woman said, no, 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 not my brother. He's a total jokester. What did he name the girl? The doctor said, Denise. Oh, she said, that's actually a nice name. What about the boy? The nephew. How many days are there in a month? Depends on the month, right? If it's February, there could be 28, right? Each month, though, has an average of 30 to 31 days, except the last month of a pregnancy, which has approximately 5,489,234. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the, uh, the almost ending of a pregnancy. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. This is amplified, so you're not going to see me open my Amplified Bible because I want to read from the Passion Translation today. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And if you don't have your Bible, I want to encourage you, bring your Bible. Or if you're like, I don't have a paper Bible, download the Bible app. Then you've got it wherever you go. And that way you can, you can follow along. You can change your versions. You can also tell if the pastor's actually not reading from the Bible. Because if you don't have your Bible and I'm just making stuff up, you'd never know, right? So follow along. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It's also there. During those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Quirinius was the governor of Syria at that time. Everyone had to travel to the hometown of their family to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his wife Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. We'll drop down to the end of verse 7. It says, There was no available space in the inn or upper room in the village. I want us to do our very best today to use our imaginations. Now, as we get a little bit older, sometimes we forget how to imagine, but I want you to reach back down to that inner child that's in there somewhere, and I want you to use your imagination. I want you to enter into the story of Mary and Joseph. I want us to put ourselves in their sandals, so to speak, for just a moment. In this passage that we read, Mary is very, very pregnant. She's at the end of her third trimester, and at the end of their third trimester, she probably just wants to stay home. She doesn't want to go anywhere. She, she, wants to, um, she wants to do her nesting, right, where she's preparing everything, but they have to make this journey. They are taking a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, they are, chances are that they had a donkey, and Mary rode the donkey, and Joseph walked. 90 miles. Typically, this would take about four days. <laughs> four days. But Mary, being very pregnant, this journey probably lasted about seven days because they would have taken their time. Mary would have had to stop. There's a lot of potty breaks when you're, when you're very, very pregnant, right? And so she would have had to find the bushes. And, and like it was probably this, this, big, this big thing. But low and slow, they would walk these 90 miles for about seven days. Arriving in Bethlehem, 
they discover now there's nowhere for them to stay because Joseph failed to mail off the reservation letter several weeks before they actually set to arrive and leave on their journey. So they've got no reservations, no room at the inn, no, no room in any upper room of anybody's house. Now they're sleeping with the animals. How's Mary feeling in this moment? Ladies, you, you who've, who've been pregnant, how's Mary? Talk to me. How's Mary feeling? Tired. She's feeling tired. She's feeling not great. Over it. Uncomfortable. Right? She just, I just want to be at home. I want to lay in my own bed. You know, but I don't even have a bed. I'm laying in straw with the animals. You know, she's probably ready for this baby to come. Grumpy. I'd say she's probably also maybe a little nervous. This is her first. She's never had a baby before. And she's, she's a teenager. She's like in her mid-teens. She's probably a little nervous, a little scared. What's this going to be like? I don't like, she's not like in the comfort of her home. That's where her, like her family would have been there. She doesn't have nobody. She's got Joseph. Joseph's never been here before. This is his first rodeo. And so she's like a little nervous. How about Joseph? How's Joseph feeling? Anxious. Joseph's probably feeling like he maybe he let Mary down a little bit. Like here I am. I'm you know I'm about, I'm about, I'm about to be a dad for the very first time. And man, I, I I didn't even get a place for my wife to have the baby. We don't even have a room to stay in. We're sleeping in with the animals on on the hay. This is this is not cool. He probably feels like he let her down. He probably feels confused. I bet you Joseph is tired. He also made that long journey. And you know, as a, as a good husband, a good dad-to-be, he was looking after all of Mary's, Mary's needs, anything she needed, anything she wanted. He was, doing, he was doing his best. He's probably worried, right? Concerned. When Renee was pregnant with Josiah and getting really close to her due date, man, we, we were excited. We were, still, we were still in college. We hadn't even graduated college yet. We were still in college and uh, super excited to be new, newborn parents. I was clueless as to what was about to happen. 100%, I had no idea how my life was going to change. Can I just say on this end of things, man, cluelessness was bliss, that I had no idea what was about to happen. I was just, I was like, just excited. Right? I, just, I just want the baby to come. I was so excited that, that, you know, I mean, I don't know. How many people waited to find out if you were going to have a boy or a girl until the baby arrived. Not me. I know there's, there's not many, but I was like, the moment we could find out, I want to find out because I was excited. I just need a little bit of something, you know, and so super excited. Josiah took his time coming. He was very comfortable in there. And we were on constant baby watch as you're, you're leading up to the days to the due date, hits the due date, it's past the due date. It's several days past the due date. He was, he was not in any hurry to come. Renee's mom, she lived in the same city as, as we did, and not, not too far from us, you know, maybe, maybe about 10 blocks or so she lived from us. And she, this was her first grandchild. She's going to be a grandma for the very first time. If you're a grandparent, I know you know how exciting this is, your first grandchild. Um, and she would call daily leading up to the due date, daily. Has anything happening? What's happening? Is anything happening yet? And the answer was always the same. Nothing yet. Then the due date. You know, there was multiple calls on the due date. Is anything happening yet? Is anything happening yet? How about now? Anything changing? No, nothing. And then the due date goes past. And now we were getting multiple calls every single day wondering what was happening. 
And there was a few times that, that, um, that grandma would call and we weren't home because we went out, we went out for a walk, we went to the store, we were in class, we went to school, right? And then she would call again and again and again. And then there, we, we, like, we'd get home, there'd be messages. And then she didn't reach us. She would get in her car and she would drive over to her apartment because maybe, just, just maybe, we went to the hospital and didn't say anything and she was missing it. I don't know what she would discover driving past our apartment though. She already knew we weren't home, right? And, and so eventually Renee had to say, mom, I promise that we will not let you miss this. I promise you that we will call you and tell you when the baby is coming, that we will not have this baby without you. We will call you. Please don't call anymore and ask what's happening, right? If you've got, ladies, if you've gone beyond the due date, you know, people asking you, hey, what's happening? When, when's the baby coming? Like, you've got no control over this. And you're kind of giving that same answer over and over it gets old, you know, I think most, most all first-time parents experience this, that same excitement, just excited for the baby to come. But then also, like, that's, the, that's like that top emotion. Then just below that, you've got these other emotions of worry, fear, maybe a little anxiety, you know? Am, am I ready to be a dad? Can I handle this? Can I do this? Do I make enough money? Is our car, is our car reliable enough? Is it big, is it big enough? You know, is our, is our little apartment, is this going to be okay for, to bring a baby home? Renee and I actually lived in a, a small one-bedroom walkout apartment. So we were on the, on the ground floor and beautiful, like, sliding glass doors that we could, we could walk out uh, to, you know, out to the, the sidewalk. was right out there on the, the main street. Um, we loved it. And it was in a, I'll say it this way, it was in a fairly safe area near downtown. Like, it was okay. It wasn't anything spectacular, but we loved where we lived. We loved our little apartment because it was a massive step up from our very first apartment, which was horrible. Um, but my, so after Josiah was born and we brought, we brought him home, my brother and, and uh, my sister-in-law came to visit us from out of, from out of town. And they, they walked into our apartment and my sister-in-law was appalled. She could not believe where we lived. She's standing in the living room of our apartment looking at these sliding glass doors of our walkout apartment. And she goes, what? How, how, can, how can you live here? This isn't safe. What if somebody smashes the glass doors and they, they run inside and they steal the baby? And I, I remember just staring at her and saying, well, I think we'd hear that. And we'd come out and we would rescue Josiah. And then that's all that I said. <laughs> I don't know. The thought had never crossed our mind that someone would smash the windows, uh, the, the, the patio windows to come in and steal our baby. I'm pleased to report that nobody tried to steal Josiah. We still have him. <laughs> Sometimes fear is like completely irrational, right? Like there was not a, a, a string of, you know, smashed patio doors and babies being stolen in our neighborhood. But we can all imagine what life could have been like for Mary and Joseph at that time. Some of us, we draw on our experiences as, as parents, or some of us, we can draw on, 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 on knowing friends that, that have had children and have had babies. But then, the, so the, we, we can relate there, but then there's this part of their whole situation where this is not just a regular baby, like she's carrying God, like the son of God is inside of her. Right? And this is not just, you know, this, this, this is the Messiah. This is the king of the world. And so this adds a, a whole layer to what they were experiencing. Can you imagine the anxiety and the questions and the doubts they were going through knowing that she was carrying the son of God? 
Can we, can we do this? Can you just imagine those late night conversations between Mary and Joseph? You know, Mary being like, oh, Joseph, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I, if I can walk this out. I don't know if I can do this assignment. Joseph staring at Mary, Mary and being like, I've never held a baby before, let, let alone the son of God. What if I drop him? What is God going to do if I drop his son? Like, these are things that I would be wondering, you know. Wrap this boy in bubble wrap and straw, like let nothing happen. I'd be just kind of panicked. What if, what if I fail? Can I raise him right? You know, Mary's carrying in her body the fulfillment of the very first prophetic word ever given in the entire Bible. She's carrying the answer inside of her. We, you know, that's a level that we might, we're not, we're not going to understand that what she was going through there. But each one of us, we are in our own way, in our own right, carriers of the promise of God. Not in the same magnitude, not in the same way that, that Mary did, but that doesn't remove our responsibility that we have to walk out the assignment of God, the promise of God. It doesn't ease our concerns when we sit with the Lord and think about the the, the plan for my life, the destiny, the purpose that he's put inside of me. And I, and I think, God, can I, can I do this? I don't, I don't know that I know how. I don't, I don't know that I'm qualified. I don't know that I've got the skills. What if I don't know what to do? What if I fail? What if I, what if I never step into all the things that God has, has called me to? What if I make one of those knucklehead decisions that we all, we all make and I, I go off the rails who am I, God, that you should choose me to do anything for you in your name? Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Jeremiah is writing the story of how God first spoke to him and called him. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I consecrated you, which means I called you to myself as my own. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Listen, you need, you need to hear this. What, what God spoke to Jeremiah wasn't exclusive to Jeremiah, but there was a plan for your life before you were ever even conceived. Before you were you, God dreamt about your life and what he would do and the plan that he has for you. He has an assignment for your life. Listen, you're not just born and by, by chance you were placed in, in some random family and it's all random chances. No, 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 no. God had a plan for you. He has a dream for you. He has a purpose for your life and he wrapped your little infant baby baby body around that dream, that purpose, that assignment, and he placed you inside of your mother's womb. You were born with intentionality and with purpose. Whether your parents planned your pregnancy or not, you were born with purpose and intentionality because God does nothing without a plan. God does nothing without purpose. You can't point to anything in creation and say, well, I think that just happened. All of creation screams and declares intentional design by an intentional creator. David even wrote in Psalms 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose and a specific destiny and calling that's unique to you. Yours doesn't look like mine, and mine doesn't look like yours. 
And it can feel overwhelming when we sit with that thought that God has called me, that he has an assignment for me, that he has a destiny and a purpose for me. It can feel a little bit overwhelming. What, how, do, how do I know what God's called me to? What if I miss it? What if, what if, I, what if I choose the wrong career path? What if, what if I fail? What if, what if I'm not qualified? What if, what if I don't know how to do it? It's a powerful thought to think that God took the time to think about you, to plan your life, your assignment, your purpose. He took the time to know you before you were ever even a twinkle in your parents' eye. He knew you. The prophet Jeremiah wrestled with these same questions. He wrestled with these same, these same doubts and wonderings as the Lord spoke to him. He, he even went so, so far as to cry out to God as God was speaking to him. He goes, ah, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a young man. Jeremiah is just a young man. And here God is telling him, I've, I've called you, I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He's saying, I'm not qualified, God. I'm not qualified for this assignment. How can you use my life? I can't live up to this responsibility. The weight is too big. I don't have the experience. I'm not old enough. I don't have the skills to do this. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Jeremiah. There's been more than a few times in my life that I stood before the Lord. More, more accurately, I sat before the Lord. I would sit with him and I said, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know if I can do this. I don't. Isn't there someone else? Isn't there someone better? Isn't there someone more educated, more qualified, more experienced? I don't know about me. I remember standing on this stage almost three years ago. It'll be three years this coming April, when Renee and I became the pastors of our church. And I remember saying to you guys who were here, we, we, we actually said this often, so you'll, you'll probably remember this. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on Jesus. We would stand and we would say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That was our strategic plan still our strategic plan. <laughs> we may not say it as much here, but in the prayer room over there, we still lay on the floor and go, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. This, that's our strategic plan. Just pull from heaven because I've, I am not qualified. I am not skilled enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have the experience. And I stood here and we felt overwhelmed. But on, honestly, <laughs> There were times that Renee and I would talk and we would like, I don't know if we're going to survive. I don't know if we're going to make, I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of this assignment. Like it was so hard. It was so big. But here's the good news. Here's the good news for everyone that's felt that, that way or everyone who feels that way today. And if you're here and if you're like, man, I really, I've never really felt that way. Let me just tell you, stick with Jesus just a little while longer because he'll bring you there. Right, like I don't know that you you're, you will uh, walk your entire life with Jesus and never be in a place where you're like oh, I don't know what to do, I'm not qualified, I can't do this. God brings each and every one of us to that place in our own right, 
He doesn't call us to things that he can just do on your own where he's like, here, here you go, Melissa. Here's a little Simon. I know you got this. I'm just going to kick back and watch you, watch you do your thing. No, no. He puts us in a place where we have no idea what we're doing. We don't know if we can make it. We're not qualified. We're not skilled so that that cry comes from within us. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Also, the good news is we made it. We survived. We're still here. <laughs> then God gives this to Jeremiah, still in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see the branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. So in English, this makes absolutely no sense, right? God says, what do you see? Jeremiah says, I see it at the branch of an almond tree. And God says, you're right. You see well, for I'm watching over my word. What does the almond tree have to do with watching over, over his word and actively you know, working to make it, make it happen? See, in Hebrew, this is what, what we would call a homophone. What's a homophone, you ask? Let me just, um, I'm going to have a, a very famous actor explain homophones for me. His name is Larry. Turn the volume up. Oh, no, no, no. Wait. Let's start again. I need some volume. You don't want to miss this. Larry the Cucumber, ladies and gentlemen, and you are welcome for that. <laughs> if you have no idea what you just watched, that's VeggieTales, and they are vegetables that act out things on a kitchen counter. It's incredible. In Hebrew, almond is the word shakade, and watching is the word shakad. See, God is not just watching to see what will happen. Those words are so closely linked together. They, they sound almost exactly the same. They're spelled. There's only one, one letter difference. But he's actually actively working to bring about the word that he spoke. He is on alert. He's watching over the assignment that he put inside of you, the plan, the purpose, the destiny to make that happen, to bring you to the place of fulfillment of your assignment. Even when you're sleeping, God is not. The Bible says that he never sleeps or slumbers. So when you're asleep, he's at work. He's working around you. He's working in you so that you can fulfill your assignment. God gave Jeremiah something, like an object lesson from something that he would see regularly. An almond tree. It's not abnormal to see in Israel. And every time he looked and he saw an almond tree, he would think to himself, God is watching over his word to fulfill it. See, what God is saying to Jeremiah is, you don't have to make this happen. You can't make this happen. I'm watching my word and I will fulfill it. If you try and make it happen, you're going to fail. I am watching my word. You and I don't have to make it happen. What we have to do is surrender. That's our role. We have to surrender to him. And we have to have courageous faith as we are obedient to what he asks us to do.
as we are obedient to tackle the assignment that he puts in front of us, to fulfill the purpose and the destiny that he created me to fulfill. His role is empowering you. It's enabling you so that you can accomplish your assignment. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Come on, say that with me. With God, nothing is impossible. Make no mistake about it. God is in charge. He doesn't control everything. I know that's something that we like to say. God is in control. But he doesn't control things. He doesn't control people. You've got free choice. How can God be in control if you've got the power to make whatever choice that you want? So he's not actually in control, but he is in charge and he is 100% directing things. And if we will surrender to his ways, if we will say yes to him, then he will direct our steps. He is in charge. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. But the biblical prophecy from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 from the Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. It says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, one, capital O, speaking of the Messiah, shall come forth for me who is to be ruler in Israel. His going forth, his appearances are from long ago, from ancient days. Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth, but the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Enter the census. God orchestrates the circumstances so that Mary and Joseph will have to leave their home in Nazareth and make that trip, that 90-mile trip at the very end of her pregnancy, timed perfectly for them to arrive in Bethlehem and Jesus to be born where the prophet said he would be born. There isn't one obstacle, listen to me, there is not one obstacle in your life that God can't overcome so that you can fulfill your assignment and your destiny for him. I've got a friend, his name is Marty. And over 20 years ago, Marty said yes to, when Marty suggested yes to Jesus, his life was a mess. He was an alcoholic. He'd lost his marriage. He'd lost custody of his children. He was two, two children, a son and a daughter. And after he said yes to Jesus and surrendered his life to him, Jesus began taking all the broken pieces of his life and bringing them back together. Marty got sober. He stayed sober. And as he was being discipled and allowing the Lord to work in his life and to work healing, put things back together, he started the process of applying to get his children back, get custody of his kids. And one day, Marty was driving to family court for a hearing as he was walking out the process and he was talking with the Lord as he was driving. And he's saying, God, I don't know, maybe I messed up too badly and I can't, I think I've, I've, I've messed it up so much that I can't be the dad that I know that you want me to be and wanted me to be. And as he was having this conversation about doubt and questioning the Lord, driving down the eight, he looked at the car in front of him and he noticed a bumper sticker. And on the, the bumper sticker of the car, it said this, God allows U-turns. God allows U-turns. Marty got custody of his kids. They lived with them. He finished raising them. And now today, some of you know Marty. Now today, Marty's not just a, a dad who raised some good Christian kids. He's a grandpa. 
He's got, grand, he's got a grandson. God allows U-turns. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I have messed my life up so badly. There is no way God can use me. You're wrong. I'm going to stand here. I will look you in the face and tell you, you are wrong. God is still watching over his word. He's still watching over his, his purpose that he, he put inside of you, your destiny, so that he can make it happen. You just need to surrender. You need to stop making the knucklehead decisions that lead you away from Jesus and surrender your life to him. You need to begin to partner with him. Just watch what he'll do. Watch him take the mess of your life, the ash heap that is the, the, the burned down, broken rubble of your life. Watch him bring beautiful things out of the ashes because God still allows U-turns. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to tell her that she'd become pregnant with God's son but yet still be a virgin, she begins to wonder how such a thing could happen. How could this happen? And then Gabriel says this to her, for with God nothing is or ever shall be impossible. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 37. The literal word-for-word -word translation of this from like Hebrew to, to English is a little clunky, but this is, this is what it says. Not any word will not to have power or ability with God. You can understand why the translators arranged it a little bit better so that we could understand it. But what Gabriel was saying to Mary was this. The words, of, the words God speaks contain power within themselves to make them happen. When God speaks a word over you, that word contains power to, to fulfill itself in your life. The words of God have the necessary power within them to make them possible. So when God spoke that word to Mary through Gabriel, that Mary would become pregnant with the Son of God, with the Messiah, that word had the power within it to cause Mary to become pregnant with the Son of God. But not only that, but it contained the grace of God the enabling power and presence of God for Mary and Joseph to walk out that assignment. If you were to, to look through the Bible and if you were to study out that word grace in the Bible, what you'd discover is that grace is the enabling power or presence of God. It is the grace of God that, that empowers us to accomplish the things that he sets in front of us. Mary and Joseph, you know they had their doubts as to whether they could do what God asked them to do. And you know what? On their own, they couldn't. On my own, I can't do what God's asked me to do. On your own, in your own strength and power, you cannot accomplish the purpose and the destiny and the assignment that God has put on your life. But the grace of God, but the grace of God, the enabling power and presence of God on your life enables you and empowers you to fulfill your assignment. And the word the destiny, the purpose that God has spoken into your life, whether you know what that is or not, it, it contains, those words contain the power of God to orchestrate the circumstances around you and to release the grace inside of you so that you can be enabled through his power at work in your life to fulfill the assignment that he's put on you. I'm gonna ask Ryan those that he wants to, to come back up at this, at this time. It's the grace of God at work in my life that changes me into the man that God has planned and purposed for me to be. The grace of God. 
But here's the thing, though. These things don't just happen. You and I have a part to play. We have a role to play. Because like I said, God is not in control. He's in charge, and you've got a part to play. I have to say yes to Jesus. I must surrender to him and his ways and his plans. Listen, you've got prophetic words and promises and things that you know God has spoken over your life or things that you, you, that you believe that he wants you to do. They're not, they're not guaranteed. When he releases a prophetic word over your life or you feel like, hey, this is my, my destiny. This is what I was built to do. That's not a guarantee you're going to do that. Because you might make decisions and choices to walk away from the Lord and, then those, and, 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 and choose to, to do things your own way, on your own terms. And if you do that, you're not going to fulfill the things that God has put in your life. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're thinking like, yeah, I have, I've made all my own decisions. I've lived for myself and, and that's where I am. That's how you got where you are. If you want to walk out the plan of God for your life, you want to fulfill the assignment that he's given you, then you have to surrender. You got to give up. Say, okay, I'm done doing it my way. I'm finished trying to do it all on my own. I surrender to your ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm giving up the control of my life and I'm yielding to you. We sang it today. All hail King Jesus. You yield and submit to a king. We can't cry out and sing out, all hail King Jesus, and then walk out of here and be like, I do it my way. And just ask Jesus to come along. He doesn't ride shotgun on your life. He drives it. But you gotta stop fighting with him over the steering wheel. You gotta stop trying to drive from the passenger side and reach over and press the brake and the gas. Just let him do it. Yield, have courageous faith to step out when he asks you to. Now, I've, I have been there where I've made decisions that I, to, to, to construct my life the way that I wanted to. And let me tell you, it was a mess. Decision after decision, and my life was in ruins. I was lost. I felt hopeless. I felt empty. I was lonely. I had no purpose. And it wasn't until I surrendered my life to Jesus, I surrendered my plans, my hopes, my decisions. And when I began to really live for him, not half in, half out, not one day, not the next day, like I went all in. I honestly, when I said yes to Jesus, this was my prayer. I said, Jesus, I'm going to say this one time. And I mean it forever. Yes. My life today isn't perfect. I still have problems. I still have bad days. I still go through terrible circumstances. Sometimes I still make knucklehead decisions. But I'm not alone. He's with me. I'm not empty. I have purpose. I have fulfillment. I have satisfaction in my life. I have fulfillment. And let me tell you, I was 20 years old when I said yes to Jesus. I just turned 47. In 27 years, never not once, not for a millisecond did I ever regret saying yes to Jesus and surrendering. 
and going all in. And he is doing the things that he said he would with my life. I said yes to Jesus. I never would have dreamed that I'd be here standing in front of such incredible people as you. Having the honor and the privilege to pastor this great church into the things that God has for us. That we get to do life together. Never in a million years would I have thought that I would have an incredible family children that love Jesus, that are pursuing him. Listen to me. Say yes to Jesus today. Say yes to Jesus now, right now. Don't wait another second. I'm not, listen, I'm not often very forceful when it comes to this, but I felt when I was, when I was preparing and I was studying this out, man, say yes to Jesus today. Stop playing around. Stop messing around. Your very life hangs in the balance. No, I'm not being dramatic. It's reality. Say yes to Jesus today. Surrender. Give up. Stop trying to control everything. Let it go. Put it in his hands. Yes, you, yes you've made a mess out of your life. Yes, things haven't turned out the way that you thought that they would. But listen, it's, everything's going to be okay as long as you just Surrender. Because he promises us that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called and living according to his purposes. He'll work it out. But you've got to say yes to him. You have to say, Jesus, I want you to be king in my life. I don't rule my own life. I want you to rule my life. I want you to be my God. Forgive me for all the stupid things that I've done. Surrender it. Watch his power be at work in you. If you're wavering, if you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this, I'm, I kind of go to church a little bit, you know, and yeah, maybe I just drop my kids off, or, you know, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in the water, this church thing. Listen, dive all in, cannonball into the deep end. You will never regret it, not once. I can with absolute confidence stand here and tell you if you go all in, all in, that you will never regret that decision one moment in your entire life, no matter where God takes you, no matter what he asks of you or what he requires of you, you will not regret saying yes to Jesus. Come on, who would say yes to Jesus today? Sitting on the fence, come on. Yeah, say yes. I'm going all in, I'm surrendering. All in with Jesus. Keep your hand up, I, I wanna pray for you. Jesus, I thank you. For every hand that's saying, yes, I'm going all in. I'm stop messing around. I'm stop playing the games. I surrender. I yield to you. I bow a knee before you, Jesus. And I know that there is no mystical prayer. But it's that hand raised. It's the cry of our spirit inside of us that's saying, yes to Jesus. I surrender all to you. And I already know that you've rushed into their life and you've taken up residence inside of them, God. And I pray that you would show yourself real and strong to them, that they would begin to hear your voice. God, in those moments when they don't know what to do, I pray they would hear your voice. They would not take back control, going all in. Holy Spirit, fill them. Fill them with your presence. Fill them to overflowing. Even though, God, they may not understand what, exactly what I'm praying, exactly what I'm asking you for, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill them to overflowing.
God, I pray that you would work in their lives. And that they would fulfill the word that you've spoken over them because you are watching over them. You brought them here today to hear this message. You are in charge. and You are directing us. This is, how, this is how I want to end today. If you're here and, you, and you're like, I've got this thing that's preventing me from stepping into all that God has for me. And you know what? Maybe that's finances. Maybe that's, maybe that's a disability or, uh, or sickness or there's a relational thing, but there's something you're, you're looking at in your life. Maybe it's a, it's a stronghold. It, it, it does, it's something. And I think if I already, I don't know, have to name a million things because I already, I already know that you know, then I want you to come. Don't wait for anybody else to come. I want you to come. I want to lay hands on you. I want to pray for you. I want to declare the name of Jesus on you. And listen, I don't want to hear your story. I know that sounds weird. I don't want to hear the story of why you're here because I already know the answer. It's King Jesus. That's the answer. I don't need to hear all the, the ins and outs and the details of I've got this and I've got that and this struggle. No, 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 no. The answer is Jesus. We're just going to declare the name of Jesus over you. So if you want prayer and you want freedom and you, you, wanna, you want God to see God do a miracle in your life so that you can overcome whatever it is that's holding you back from stepping into all that he's created you to do and to be, then I want you to come. Because we're going to release miracles over you. Healings, breakthroughs. Ryan's going to pray, he's going to play, and he's going to lead us in, in some worship. If you need a miracle, I'm going to ask you to come. And I believe today that God is going to release miracles over your life, maybe in a way like we've never seen before.